0: Thank you, Carlton. By the way, if you want to, to follow along, we'll be looking at that scripture some more. It's printed as an insert uh, in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along with that. And I want to thank the choir for doing excellent work with ancient uh, words. Uh, we're going to be singing that song as a choir. not no, as a choir as a congregation uh, next Sunday. Now, for those of you who've been here Uh, All along for this series on the Apostles' Creed, I think you will agree we've had quite a a ride so far. For the last six Sundays, we've been following uh, our Lord Jesus Christ. We've been following him through his conception, uh, his birth, his sufferings, his death, his burial, his descent into Hades, we learned, his ascension into heaven. And then last Sunday about his future return as judge of all the earth. Well, now we're going to move to the uh, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And what does our creed have to say about him? It says, I believe in the Holy Spirit, and that's it. And then it moves on to other things. You know, that's the way it's been for the Holy Spirit. He has always had poor PR, public relations, in the church, of the of the three persons of the Trinity, he receives the least attention. And, and if you look at any of the creeds, and if you go to our own Westminster Confession, for example, you're not going to find a chapter about him. There's no paragraph devoted uh, to him. I mean, there are some there are references to him, but he does not get his own section of attention. That God, particularly. Jesus Christ, God the Son, does. Now the Holy Spirit also suffers from being the least personal of the of the three Godhead persons. He's always referred to as the Holy Spirit. That is, and he's always referred in Scripture in the in the third person. He's he, never you, never I, He's never prayed to. You will not find a prayer in the scriptures addressing the Holy Spirit. He is never addressed in worship. There is no depiction of him in Scripture of dialoguing with any human being. So you can see the difference. Another way of looking at the difference between God the Son, that is Jesus, and God the Spirit, is in the heresies that grow grow up around uh, these two persons of the Godhead. There have been those throughout history who have questioned the divinity of Jesus. Is he really God? There have been those who have questioned his humanity. Was he really a human being? When it comes to the Holy Spirit, they question whether he exists at all. So, for example, the Jehovah's Witnesses depict him as merely a, a force, an active force Of God. So, for sure, the Holy Spirit is the least personal of the three persons God, of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But here is the irony of it all He is the key to making God personal to us. You take the Holy Spirit out of the equation, and God the Father becomes a distant, indistinct, image that we cannot know. You take away the Holy Spirit, and all the work of God the Son comes to nothing. Whatever experience we might claim that we have with God, and that we have of God, it comes through the Holy Spirit. So let's take a look at this most mysterious person of the Trinity, And let's see how he unravels for us the mystery of God himself. The mystery of that work that God has done and is doing for us. And we're going to begin with the promise that Jesus makes in that text that was read about sending the Holy Spirit. Look with me at him. Jesus talking to his disciples. He's about to leave them. This is the, the night before his crucifixion. He says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. Now that's a startling statement for Jesus to make. It certainly would be startling to the disciples. He is saying, It's to your advantage, to your advantage that I that I go away, that I leave you. Because if I go away, then the Holy Spirit will come. So the clear impression that Jesus is making is of the the vital importance of the Holy Spirit. Now, what is this critical work that he will do? Well, his value is found in the name that Jesus gives. In the English Standard Version, that's in uh, your insert, it says helper. The Greek term is paraclete. If you had pulled out your uh, church Bible, the little blue Bible, the NIV, it would have used the term counselor. If you had a more up-to-date New International Version, you would have been reading the word advocate. If there's anyone here with a King James Bible, you will have read the word comforter. Now, helper seems the best term if only... It's kind of more generic and it covers all these other uh, aspects of what it is to be a helper. So he's a helper in a variety of ways. And now we're going to look at the different ways that the Holy Spirit is our helper. What does he help us to do? So we continue along in our text in verse 8. Jesus says when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And then you have the different ways in which the ju- these convictions take place, and it's it's actually a pretty difficult passage to interpret. But there's one thing that is very clear: the work of the Holy Spirit is that of convicting us of sin. So, for example, when the people at Pentecost heard the preaching of Peter, is there a He proclaims the word, and as he gets near the end of his sermon, he accuses them of their role of crucifying Jesus. And what was their response? We're told that they were cut to the heart. They were convicted. They wanted to know what they could do. Now, that's the work of the Spirit. You see, there are many who know the gospel message. There are many who profess faith in Jesus, just as we do that every week in in the Apostles' Creed. And yet, they are not saved. They're not saved because they've never been convicted of their status as sinners. Now, everyone will admit to being human. You no, I'm only human, I make a few mistakes. Everyone will acknowledge that they, you know, there are changes that they need to make. But what demonstrates that the Holy Spirit has been at work in their hearts is their sincere, their heartfelt admission of being a sinner. That's why if you join the church, and all of those of you who have joined the church, you may remember what is the first question that you're asked. It is this, do you acknowledge yourself to be a sinner in the sight of God, justly deserving his displeasure, and without hope in his sovereign mercy? Now, if you don't get that, if you don't understand that you are a helpless Sinner deserving God's just wrath, well, the Spirit has not been at work in you. If you protest, well, you know, I'm doing the best that I can, or that I, I you know, I, I think God will see that basically I have a good heart. Well, evidently the Holy Spirit has not touched you at all. Conviction of sin, of being a sinner is his good work to all those who come to be saved. So he does conviction. Jesus also speaks of him making truth known in verse 12 and 13. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. So, to be convicted of sin actually means that the Holy Spirit has already started that work of guiding you into the truth. Because the very first truth you must learn is your sin condition. Uh, that he by But he by no means leaves you with just that thought. Because he's going to guide you now into all truth. He's going to guide you into the truth of Jesus Christ, who he is, what he has done. You know, all of us have probably thought about this this time when we read the Gospels, how wonderful it would have been to, to live there in the time of Jesus, maybe to be one of his disciples, or to be out there and when he was, you know, preaching and proclaiming his word and doing his ministry. I mean, haven't you thought, I mean, could there ever have been a better teacher I mean, a more compelling teacher. And yet, even Jesus' own disciples never quite caught on to the full truth of his teaching. And so there's that story of the two disciples you know, walking on the road to Emmaus. They're, they're walking with Jesus. Jesus meets them. They don't know. They don't understand that this is him. And they're downhearted. And Jesus is asking, why are you so downhearted? And and even after, even after their sisters, their sisters in the Lord, have reported that Jesus, they've seen him risen from the dead, you know, they're still discouraged. You know, they were not expecting him to die. And they say, we had hoped, we thought that he was the Messiah. That we had hoped for. They still had not gotten what Jesus had been teaching them. So after he, he then begins to teach them, right then and there, to going along the road, to come to Emmaus, and after he leaves them, they remark to one another, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road and while he opened to us the scriptures. Look, like Jesus had been opening up the Scriptures long before this. Okay? But what they're testifying to is the work of the Holy Spirit. So when Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit guiding us into truth, the Holy Spirit teaching us or instructing us, what he is speaking of is the experience that we have in which we, we suddenly become enlightened to truth. Our hearts are burning within us as we read the Scriptures. So our minds, our hearts are opened up to the truth that has been taught by Jesus or by the Scriptures. And it's the Spirit's work to open, that up, open us up to that. So the Holy Spirit is not a rabbi like Jesus was, who was sent to come and speak audibly to the disciples to whom then they could or we could respond to, either agree or disagree. Now, the Holy Spirit is the one who's doing that opening of our minds to help us to 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 what we didn't hear before. Suddenly, we hear it. To what made no sense to us before. Suddenly, we begin to understand it. The one who opens our hearts to accept the truth. Years ago, a man visited me at my church in Philadelphia and in our conversation, I presented the gospel to him. And as he's listening, his name was Neil. I, I still remember this so well. He, he's remarking how much, how much sense this makes to him. And sure enough, eventually, after a couple more times, he receives the gospel. And to this day, he has remained a follower of Jesus. Well, at that time, he had a girlfriend, and he brought her to come and hear the gospel. I shared the same message, and it fell completely flat. Just no response. Just kind of nodding her head, yeah, mm-hmm, and then never saw her again. And what was the difference between the two persons? Was one smarter? Was one more, uh, more spiritual? Was someone in the, the right mood? No, the difference is that the Holy Spirit was at work in one, and not in the other. Now, many of you have this same testimony. You grew up in church, perhaps. You heard the gospel, but you can still testify that that one day, you might know what the experience particularly was, but one day the light came on. I mean, one day, you, you're just convicted of your sin. I, I had someone come here, and, and saying, you know, I grew up in church, and my mother was always, you know, telling me to go to church and so on. And things that didn't bother me before, now they're, now they're starting to bother me. And what's happening? The Holy Spirit is coming in and convicting you of your sin. And you've had that. And all of a sudden now, it, it, it makes sense. You see how Jesus saves. You, you understand what he did. And, and that Bible that just... Just making no sense to you at all. You can't get enough of it now. It starts to make clear and you begin to read things. And, you know, I remember that in my own experience growing up in a church. And I, I, you know, Spirit comes at work and I'm starting to read Scripture like I had never read it before. I mean, I've just never seen this stuff before. Where did it come from? That's the Spirit at work. Holy Spirit comes and He takes awakens us that we hear, receive, and respond to the gospel. Now, just what is it that the Holy Spirit is doing to give us this understanding? Well, again, we have to understand our condition without the Spirit. Why were you unable to understand the gospel, at least in such a way that it you became truly convicted as a sinner, you turned to Jesus Christ for your salvation, what did happen? Why is it, and you've been baffled by this, you present the gospel to your neighbor, and he or she just, you know, hears it and either ignores it or rejects what to us? like This is such wonderful news. It just makes so much sense. Why can't you accept it? The problem is that in our natural condition, we're dead. Ephesians 2.1. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked and the dead do not hear the dead do not repent they do not exercise faith what is needed for the dead to be made alive or to use Jesus own words to be is to be uh, is to be made alive to be born again you remember the time that Nicodemus came to Jesus? Let me read that passage to you from John three, three through eight. Jesus speaking to Nicodemus, Truly, truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Who is born of the Spirit. Now here, here's what Jesus is teaching. Look, we don't first, as dead people, start to listen. We, someone's presented the gospel. We're, we're listening to that. Now we respond to it. And then, as a result, as a response, the Holy Spirit comes into us and causes us to be born again. What happens is that the Holy Spirit, in ways that we do not understand, and we do not anticipate it, comes into us whenever, into whomever, God sends him, and he awakens new life in us. He causes us to be born again. And that is when we start to hear the gospel. And it makes sense. We are convicted. We turn to Jesus. I mean, this makes sense of what has always been baffling to us, hasn't it? I mean, haven't as you asked yourself, how, how can one person, raise in a, a strong Christian-believing family, they're in a church, and they sit under just a clear gospel teaching, and they don't get it? I mean, they just, they just don't get it, and they walk away, or um, they just never understand. Uh, how is it that the most ardent, most rebellious atheist, one day, just comes to faith? It makes sense all of a sudden. We had the, the pastor, remember, from Turkey here last week. And none of you are here during the Sunday school hour when he's, he's giving his testimony. He said, Fikret? sounded like Fred, what they were saying, but it's spelled Fikret Bosic somehow he he's, he's, he's living he 's in turkey he 's he's Muslim he hears about scriptures Christian scriptures and and at one he he wants to find it and he he finds a couple who having their honeymoon remember from Texas and they were having their honeymoon and they happen to be christians and they Give him a Bible. And he just, he just has to read it. And he, he just devours it. What's happening to him? The Holy Spirit has come into him and awakened him. And despite his reluctance, as he said, I did not want to believe this, eventually he had to say, I believe this. A spirit came into him and drew him into faith. So the Spirit convicts us of our sin, leads us further into truth, of Jesus of the gospel, causes us to be born again so that we receive it, we accept him. That other thing that the Spirit does is our sanctification. The Holy Spirit brings us to new life, first of all, by entering into us. And we'll talk about, we'll say things like, you know, uh, you know, I feel God in my heart or Jesus is inside of me. How do I know Jesus lives? He lives inside of, of my heart. Well, the truth, the theological reality is that God, the Holy Spirit has, has entered into us. And so Paul writes to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Do you not know that your body is a temple? Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit with you, whom you have from God. That's what Jesus meant when he says, I'm sending you the Holy Spirit, not to be out here, but to be in here. He enters into us and he remains in us and it is He who is accomplishing the work of sanctification. In other words, He has set us apart, that's the first work, so that we now belong to God. And then He continues inside of us to do that work of convicting us, of guiding us in truth, so that we become more and more like our Lord Jesus Christ. So He's been, He's sanctifying us. And then there is one other important work that he is doing for us. He is assuring us of our relationship to God, our Father, in Jesus Christ. There's a great passage in Romans 8. Let me read to you from 12 through 16. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, By whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our Spirit that we are children of God. Have you found that kind of assurance? Surely you have. When you, those of you who know Jesus Christ, don't you just naturally, when you pray, who do you pray? You say, you pray, typically you address God as what? As Father. I mean, Jesus taught us to do that, but it is the Spirit that just makes it feel right. You know? My Father. It is the Holy Spirit who draws us to God for our security in this world, who who causes us to find comfort in our Lord and in God's Word. It is the Holy Spirit speaking to, to my spirit that makes me say, you know, this is right. This is true. When I tell you, when, when I'm here, and we're, we're singing the hymns, or the, or the choir is singing uh, the, the great chorus, and I'm saying, "Yes, this is right. This is true. That's the Holy Spirit speaking to my spirit." It is the Holy Spirit who who has spoken to your spirit many times. I know because you you've told me when when I prayed, my my prayers, and you you consciously have agreed with me and you said you know boy when when you pray i i just i just pray along with you and and you as i'm giving praise to God for his glorious being and his ways in Christ and you and you're nodding going yes yes that's the spirit that's at work in you and so when we say as Christians that we gain hope that we gain comfort when we read the promises of God's Word. That is because the Holy Spirit is opening up our minds, opening up our hearts to it. It's because the Holy Spirit has put us in right relation as children of our Heavenly Father. It is the Holy Spirit, the person of the Godhead, that we give the least attention to who is lifting up our thoughts, making them focus on God, our Father, and God, the Son, Jesus Christ. And that's the way it should be. Because the goal of the Holy Spirit is to glorify the Father and the Son. Again, as Jesus told his disciples concerning the Spirit, he will glorify me. You know, Jesus later in the next chapter, when he's praying to God the Father, he's saying to the Father, I've glorified you, I want you now to glorify me. There's no glorifying the Spirit. Spirit's work is to see that glory is given to the Father and to the Son. And what does that mean? Does that mean we can't think of him, we can't glorify him? Well, yes, I mean, he is God the Holy Spirit. But what we understand is that he is most glorified when we exalt the Father and the Son. When we are doing that, the Spirit is doing his job. So that leaves uh, one question at the end here. What about you? Has the Holy Spirit entered you? Has he caused you to be born again? I mean, these are questions worth examining. There are many who will have attended church all their lives who will find when they are standing before Judge Jesus that we learned about last, last Sunday, and he will say, I never knew you. No, that's not the time to find out. Now is the time to do that spiritual check for the presence of the Holy Spirit. Have you ever been? Were you convicted of being a sinner, deserving the judgment of God? You knew that? You felt that? You wanted to turn from that? Have you turned to Jesus Christ alone for your salvation? I mean, you caught it. You weren't like me when I was growing up in church and say, yeah, I I believe in Jesus and I do my best. As a Christian, so that my good deeds will outweigh my bad deeds. No, I mean, you're convicted and you know that your only hope is in Jesus Christ. And if you have done that, do you find yourself uncomfortable with sin? You you know, when you engage, I mean, you sin, but it bothers you and you just can't go back to that. And do you find comfort in Jesus Christ's saving work? That when you you recognize your sin, all the more you are thankful for that work that Jesus has done for you. Do you have an understanding in God's Word and a desire to to know that Word all all the better? That's, That's what you want to know, is what He has to say to you through that. Does your spirit ever call out to God, Abba, Father? Well, if not... If the Holy Spirit is not in you, I guess it won't matter to you. But if you do feel uneasy, if you've never done these things, but now the, the sin you, you never had trouble with before, it, you know, it's starting to bother you, becoming worrisome to you. If you're starting to feel like, you know, I've been satisfied, but something's missing in your life. And then perhaps the Holy Spirit has started to awaken you. And don't rest until you know for sure. Let's pray. We thank you, our God. We thank you that we were not left alone when our Lord Jesus ascended back into heaven. That you have sent the Holy Spirit to be within us, to be among us, to awaken us to life, to cause us all the more to Desire to want to live for our Lord Jesus Christ, to give us comfort, to give us hope, to give us peace. May your Spirit continue to do that work in us. And Father, I do pray as well for any who who has not had that, has not known that comforter, that assurance, that, that hope, that helper, that your Holy Spirit would so move in them, bring them to new life, to know their Savior. In Jesus' name. Amen.